0: Okay I think we'll go ahead and get started. Good morning everybody. I am Casey Chumra. I'm the Executive Director of the Idaho Wheat Commission and I would love to welcome you all to this version of From the Field a Farm Chat presented by Idaho Wheat. And this is a monthly web series that covers really the whole gamut of farm topics. We try to keep them short enough to keep your attention but long enough to be sure that you get all of the information And a list of our past episodes can be found on our website. You can watch them on YouTube or on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And I will go ahead and put a link in the chat so that you can find those later. Um, But today we have a very important, although sometimes intimidating topic, taxes. And we really have the perfect guests to speak about this because they are fellow farmers. And in addition, they are CPAs. So Jerry and Tony Brown farm together in Soda Springs and Jerry in fact is a former wheat commissioner. So we're very happy to welcome him back. And since this is a farm chat, the idea is that you participate by asking questions either by unmuting yourself or you can type them into the chat box if you prefer. And we really do encourage you to ask questions. I guarantee that if you're wondering something so is someone else. So please with that, uh, I'd like to welcome Jerry Brown and I I think Tony will probably chime in as well. Thank you, Jerry.
1: Thank you, Casey. It's good to be here this morning. Um, I just need to give a little disclaimer here to uh, everyone that's in attendance. You know, we intend to make, you know good accurate information available to you but the subject matter is quite complicated. And uh, just want to let everybody know that the understanding here is that, you know we are not providing, nor is the Wheat Commission providing, any legal or accounting or tax advice, um, because of the complexity of the subject matter that we're going to talk about, uh, and everybody's situation being different. And it's important that you use this as a as a starting point, and you know, do your own research, or if you have a tax provider that counsels with you, you know, seek that counsel with them. Um, there's not a whole lot of new stuff. Uh, to talk about so we're gonna we're gonna talk about one item that is new and then a lot of the stuff's going to be a review um, so the current tax law is set up to where you can only take ten thousand dollars of itemized deductions for state and local income taxes and that's been a heartache to especially the states where taxes are real high but 21 states have worked a workaround around that at least a limited workaround. And the Idaho legislature last session passed provisions where Idaho provided that opportunity for Idaho taxpayers. And the way it works is it works for partnerships and S corporations. And so um, when you calculate your income on your partnership return, or your S corp, you calculate the tax on that income and the entity elects to be treated as an affected business entity or an Abe type entity. And when that is done, the entity will then pay the state income tax on its income. Um, and when you do that, then you gain a federal tax deduction for that state income tax that was paid by the by the uh, entity. It doesn't work if you're Schedule F sole proprietor. You have to be either a partnership or an S-corp to make it work. And so... What really makes it neat is after the the corporation or partnership gets a deduction for it on the federal return, a credit is passed through to the partners for that that same amount of tax. And that pays that amount of tax on the Idaho return. So it's kind of a complicated process. We're just starting to kind of get our uh, arms around it to see how it works. Um, But definitely something that you want to look at. Uh, it will provide a tax deduction on the federal return for everybody that has a partnership or an S-corp entity. And so you don't even have to itemize to build to do that, which is really cool. Uh, Another topic that we'd like to talk about is Code Section 179. Most of you are probably familiar with that. That's the section that allows you to expense equipment purchased during the year, um, all in the first year that you've purchased it. You know, this applies to new and used equipment, uh, combines, tractors, grain bins, wells, fences, uh, breeding livestock, drainage facilities, um, grain bins. I said that, sorry. Um, and this, this code section 11, uh, 179 is an election. It's not mandatory, but you have to elect to do it. And the election is made on your tax return, whether you're a partnership, S-Corp, or sole proprietor. It's made at that level. And the nice thing about Section 179 is something you can be real precise with. Um, You can deduct part of an asset. You can deduct all the asset, or you can select which assets you want to do 179 on. The limitations on it are you have to have business income in order to deduct the, the 179. However, you can still make the election and any unused uh, deduction can be carried forward, you know, to the future and used used next year. So, you know, if you saw that he was going to have a real big year down the road the next year, and you'd bought a bunch of equipment this year, you might want to take a look at, you know, expensing it on the the current return and then carrying it forward and using it against the big income the next year. Um, one of the issues, you know, that you have to be aware of with 179 is if in a subsequent year, uh, any subsequent year up to the seven-year depreciation life, if, if uh, your business use drops below 50%, then you have to recapture that 179. And the amount you recapture is the amount between 179 and what the regular depreciation would have been to that point. Another point i need to make here is that if you elect 179 then idaho won't let you take the investment tax credit on those amounts selected for code section 179 there are certain assets that aren't eligible to be treated for 179 Um, probably the major one is if you're leasing assets to others there are certain requirements if you meet those and they're pretty limited then you can um, take 179 on, on assets that are leased, but it's pretty tough to do. If you acquire property from a related party, and that would include your spouse, lineal descendants or ancestors or entities that you control more than 50% of, those, those assets can't be used to take 179. The maximum deduction, you know, has really increased from what it was four or five years ago. It's currently, you can deduct a $1,050,000 uh, per year um if you spend over 2.7 million dollars in equipment then you can't do any 179 so that eliminates you know large taxpayers and this election can be revoked without approval of the IRS if you decide to change your mind down the road uh another topic that's kind of related to 179 is bonus depreciation Bonus depreciation is mandatory unless you elect out of it um, with bonus depreciation you're you don't have the surgical skill that you do on a 179 deduction. It's it's basically a class life. So you can elect to have three year property uh, subject to bonus or five year, seven year, ten year, uh, or all of those, but you can't pick you know asset by asset. So you know it somewhat hinders your ability to to uh, you know be precise in what you need to do there. And for twenty twenty one and twenty two. Uh, bonus depreciation is 100% of of equipment that you've put into service for the year. In 2024, that drops to 80%, and bonus depreciation will be uh, phased out uh, at the end of 2027. I hate to say things like that, because 2027, there will be some changes made uh, that's going to change that, I'm sure. And here again, just like Section 179, Idaho doesn't allow bonus depreciation type items to be uh, subject to the investment tax credit benefit. And then Idaho does not, uh, they have not allowed bonus depreciation, so that provides some unique challenges. Uh, You basically have to have two different depreciation schedules, one for federal and one for state. This is kind of the end of you know a depreciation topic. I don't know. Are there any other any questions that anyone would like to ask at this point? Okay, we'll go on to the next topic. Uh, we'd like to talk a little bit about self-employed uh, medical expense deductions on Schedule A, the itemized deduction sheet. Your medical expenses are. Quite limited. You have to subtract seven and a half percent of your adjusted gross income before any medical counts. And then with the higher standard deduction, it's currently $25,100, I believe, that eliminates a lot of people using Schedule A and itemizing. There are a couple other options where maybe you could make, you know, have some benefits from your being able to deduct your medical expenses. One of those is if you pay your health insurance through your farm business, um, you can deduct your self-employed health insurance that you're paying for. And this, this would include you, your spouse, your children that are dependents. Um, so that, that gets the health insurance deducted if you, if you work things right there. Another option would be to set up a medical reimbursement plan. And if you're a sole proprietor and your spouse happens to work for you in the business, you could set them up as an employee and pay them a, a wage. And you could set up a medical reimbursement plan. There's a couple organizations out there that monitor these plans for you for a, a, a small fee. Uh, and you need to have somebody like that oversee the plan so that if you're audited, it's done correctly. And basically what this allows you to do is to deduct all of your health insurance and your out-of-pocket medical expenses that you're having to pay for for you and your family. And the advantage of this uh program is that it deduct it it reduces not only federal state but also your self-employment tax whereas the self-employed health insurance deduction only deducts gives you deduction for federal and state income tax a lot of times we run into clients who try and maybe not intentionally but maybe unintentionally put some of their personal expenses through their tax return And you need to be real careful in doing this. You need to back out those items that are of a personal nature. Um, Some of the items that you might need to pay particular attention to are, you know, if you raise something, if you raise a beef or, you know, if you're raising livestock and you take one for your home use, you need to back that. The expenses associated with that out. Um, need to make sure that if you have a a farm loan that includes your house, that you allocate some of the interest to your home loan and not deduct that as a farm expense. Uh, Real estate taxes on your principal residence need to be backed out. Insurance premiums uh, on your residence and your personal vehicles. Life insurance never is tax deductible unless you're paying it for an employee and there's limits on that. Um, You need to back out utilities and telephone expenses for your household. If you have professional fees associated with personal matters, you can't deduct those and you need to back those out. Um, I don't know, any questions up to this point on on medical expenses and being able to deduct those and then whether there are any other expenses you need to back out of your farm deductions before you deduct those? Please don't be shy if you
0: have questions, everybody.
1: I have a question, Jerry. You mentioned life insurance for employees, right? If you have a, if you're an employer and you have a group life insurance plan, you can deduct the cost of that if you're providing that as a benefit to your employees. Um, the premium on everything above fifty thousand dollars of coverage has to be added to their wages and um, included in, you know, in their taxable earnings, but. That's, that's the only place that life insurance is deductible. You know, there's, there's a lot of lenders require life insurance in order to loan you the money. And even that doesn't qualify uh, life insurance to be deductible. It's just not. And the reason is, is because the proceeds that are paid out on life insurance are not taxable to you or to your heirs, I should say. Okay, I'm going to turn the mic over to Tony and he's going to take over from here.
2: All right, so um, another more review topic uh, that's been around now for a few years is the Qualified Business Income Deduction known as QBI. Um, This replaced another deduction, the domestic production uh, deduction it used to get and um, currently this uh, QBI, it's in effect for, you know, the next few years at least through 25 as it stands right now. Um, and it's, it applies to, to sole proprietors, partnerships, S corps, um, and then some certain estates and trusts. Um, to figure the deduction, um, it can get pretty complicated, but for, for most guys and, and farmers like us, it's, it's 20% of qualified business income. Um, so it's kind of like your net income from a trader or business, um, some rental income can qualify. Uh, if you're self-renting, um, then that's that's a, an example of where it would qualify. But like I say, not all rental qualifies, so you have to be careful on that. Um, you don't include capital gains, so it's purely just net income type objects that affects your QBI, your, your income that affects that 20%. And that 20%, you get to write off on, on the return um, and so that's a pretty nice deduction for us. Um, there are limit income limitations. Um, it's pretty high. So if you're filing a married filing jointly return, um, you know, you're up towards about $330,000 of, uh, of income before that starts getting limited. So for, for a lot of farmers, that's a great tool that they get to use. Um, another option that we're all pretty familiar with is the election to defer insurance uh, from crop receipts. Um, and a few reminders on that. In able to, In order to defer those crop insurance proceeds, um, you're, you need to be on the cash method basis um, for, for starters. And then uh, your normal business practice needs to be where you would defer more than 50% of your crop um, into the following year. And so if that's not the case there, I know there was a case where a farmer was about a third deferring his crop into the next year and the IRS kind of came back and didn't let him do that. So you got to be 50% or more on that. Um, in order to make the election, you got to make a statement with on your tax return, um, and it needs to be attached to the return. And it has to contain certain items. It has to a lot of basic details about um, the insurance proceeds that you are receiving. So um, you know what kind of a, what kind of crop are you receiving it from, um, and you also need to say a statement of uh, the, the election was made under section 451D. Um, and this also including in the election, you need to have a statement that shows that it's under normal business practice that the income would have been reported the following year, like I was saying that 50% rule. So um, then you have to identify the cause of the damage and the dates that it occurred. And then also the name of the insurance carrier that all has to go on that election to defer those crop. Uh, receipts. Um, You can elect it either on your original return or if you need to, you can make the election on an amended return and so that gives you a little bit of flexibility. Um, The one downside is that it is an all or nothing deferral so you can't pick and choose especially in a year where you have um, lots of receipts, lots of different crops that failed you, it's, uh, you got to either defer all of it or, or keep it all in the year that you received it. Um, and that's another effect too, you, you got to receive the, the proceeds in the year that you had the loss. And so if you didn't, you know, if the settlement took a long time and it ended up being in January of the next year anyways, then, you know, you wouldn't be able to defer that. You're already into the next year with, with receiving that so Um, another item that farmers can get a benefit out of uh, on a tax basis is by if you're giving charitable donations to an organization you can make a gift of um, a, a crop to to those organizations it's it's a great benefit because you're able to essentially uh not even pick up the income you you wipe it right off your federal and state income the the value of those crops there's there's a few requirements in order to to do it right make sure you follow the rules you have to be a cash basis farmer um and so if you're a crop share landlord and you're receiving those those parts of receipts won't qualify so it's purely um, stuff that you're raising yourself, um, and and then donating to those organizations. It has to be to a qualified organization still, those five hundred one uh, three or C threes, um, and then yeah. Uh, like, like other items, this, it does, it takes off the burden of self-employment tax as well. So you save a little bit there. Um, and then you, you have to show when you make the transfer, you have to show that it was given to the charity. You can't go and sell the grain or the crop, whatever it is, and then donate that to the charity. You have to show some kind of a, like a warehouse receipt showing that, the commodity itself was transferred to the organization and the organization uh, actually sells uh, the commodity from there. Um, and then, yeah, any, does anyone before I move on, does anyone have any questions on that or anything I've talked about so far?
3: Hi, guys, this is Jamie Cress. Can you hear me? Okay, perfect. Thank you. I never know out here in the boonies if I have a connection or not. Hey, related to, right? Related to uh, the crop insurance deferral, it's my understanding that the only portion that can be deferred has to be related to yield loss. That's correct, right? So if I Uh. get, and I apologize, I'm not the insurance professional in our house, but um, this year, because of pricing, there was some revenue or um, price type uh, proceeds that we received as well. Those have to be claimed this calendar year, correct? Or sorry, I shouldn't say it like that, but in in that fiscal year that we received it.
2: Right. Yeah, when it comes to the deferral, um, I believe it's when you have damage to your crop or if you have... um, at? Like a pre-plant, um, you know, restriction, those do qualify. So um, I'll verify with my dad, but I'm pretty sure when you have the, uh, the whole revenue like you're talking about, yeah, you'll have to pick that up.
3: Anything related to price stays in the tax year that your 1099 comes in. Correct. Yeah.
2: You have to have physical damage or in- interruption in your farm practice to, to be able to defer it. So yeah, price, uh, all that kind of stuff. You'll pick that up in, in the year you receive it.
3: Okay. And then I've, we've actually never had to do this before. So I've been, uh, learning a lot about it, but I'm one of those people that gets nervous when a 1099 form doesn't match, uh, my books, if you will. So you said with the, with uh, the form that we need to fill out, all that is is um, solves that problem I guess of having 1099s that don't necessarily match what we're going to report on our taxes.
2: Right. and then you'll have to be careful and you know get with your t- tax professional if if things aren't matching up with the 1099. Um, get, get with your tax professional, make sure, cause you want to make sure you pick up the income that they report to you. Mm-hmm. If, if not, um, you'll probably get a letter from the IRS stating you didn't pick up all of your income. And so, but if there's a, there's a miscalculation, get with your tax accountant, um, there's ways he can help you so you're not overpaying, either picking it up twice or that kind of situation, so.
3: Okay, that's perfect. Thank you.
2: Any other questions? At this point, I can, uh, there's a couple other items if we still have a few minutes. Um, another tax benefit is, uh, that farmers, anyone can do these as a health savings account Um, these are a great way to reduce your tax burden your tax liability Um, there's a few qualifications you got to have you got to have a high deductible health insurance plan and you got to make sure you you have it whenever you make a um, a contribution to it too you can't open it up for a year and then five years you change your plan you don't have a high deductible and try and add to it there's people that do get in trouble for that so you got to make sure you have a high deductible health insurance plan, um, and then you you have limits on how much you can you can deduct and so or, or contribute each year. So, um, if you have a self only plan, you can do uh, up to thirty six hundred dollars as a maximum contribution per year. Um, if you have a family plan, though, then they let you double that, so you get up to seventy two hundred dollars, and then uh, if you're over the age of 55, then they give you an additional $1,000 into those limits. Um, with HSAs, um, once you hit age 65, you're no longer able to contribute. But if you have the money in there, and then after there, as long as you pull them, that money out and any of that growth in those accounts out and use it for you know qualified health expenses, then all of that is uh Not applicable, it doesn't apply to any income taxes. You get those out for free essentially. So, and then when money goes into your HSA, obviously you get the deduction up front too. So, you get it's actually a really neat uh, deduction where you get kind of a double benefit, which is pretty rare in the tax world. Normally, it's you get one benefit on one side, but it's kind of fair on the other side. And this one seems like they give you just a little bit more of an advantage. Um, another item, especially now, um, sometimes we are wondering at the end of the year, what can we do to, um, reduce our tax liability? You know, the tax year for 2021 is over. Um, is there anything we can do now? A lot of people ask us that. And one of the best situations we tell them is, do you have an IRA? Um, you can make a contribution to your IRA. Um, you're, uh, you gotta be careful if you, you or your spouse has um, a plan, a qualified retirement plan with another work or another job. If so, you might be limited to the amount that you can put into the traditional IRA. So you just got to be careful there. But normally those limits are pretty high. I think they're 160 180000 if you're filing a joint return. And so that's a great way now that you can donate or contribute to your traditional IRA because you have up until the due date of this return, so about April 15th, give or take, to make a contribution today that would be a reduction to your income for 2021. And plus you're, you know, you're, you're kind of putting that money to yourself down the future in a retirement account. Um, there are other tri- retirement accounts that are option are available for farmers. Um, you have a Roth IRA, which Uh, You get to put in after-tax dollars, you don't get a deduction like a traditional, but after the age 59 and a half, when you start pulling those, that money out, um, all that that you put in plus the growth, you get to take out tax-free. So that's, it's another great tool, just kind of backwards in the traditional. Um, Two other retirement accounts that you can do at an entity level as a farmer are, what you, we call SEP IRAs, a SEP, and a simple IRA. Um, and then you also have what we call solo 401ks. So those are three um, small business plans you can set up, you know, whether you have a Schedule F or, you know, a partnership S corporation, those kinds of things. You want to talk to your tax advisor just to to know all the ins and outs of it and what you can do based on your entity, but they're, they're great tools you can use as well to, to get, to, to write off some of those, um, you know, employee benefits essentially, and, and kind of pay your employees and yourself, um, some through, through retirement contributions. Um, a few things that we would have mentioned that are still kind of on the table, um, Um, one, one thing is with, uh, section 1031 exchanges, um, in the past you were able we were able to do those almost with anything with equipment, you go trade in a tractor for a new one. Um, we're no, no longer able to do those types of 1031 exchanges, but with real estate, with, with land and things, those, those are available still. Um, there's an exemption on estate taxes and currently that is just over 12 million dollars and like i say that's an item that if this build back better bill and all those things that they're discussing they've had um points in there that would change that that level but currently it's still just over a hair over 12 million so and then along with that the step up in basis that you get when um when you die is it is still allowed as of now too so um that jump to fair market value, value is currently still available. Um, but, like I say, we got to keep our eyes open um, and pay attention here in the next little bit because some of those might change. Um, uh, last few things we would uh, discuss um, in the accounting world, it's always good to be working with a good set of books. Um, the IRS, whether you're scheduling the filing a Schedule F or an or entity report with, you know, partnership, S-Corp, um, the IRS requires you to have a good set of books that reflect, you know, a good, your, your income and expenses. And so you want to make sure you do that. There's lots of benefits of having good record keeping. Um, if you ever get audited, you're, you got all the stuff right there. You're, you're good to go. And it's a lot easier if you ever have to go through that process. Um, as on, a, on the farm management side, it's almost impossible to make a good decision um, dealing with, with money and the finances without having a good set of, of books. Um, and plus, when you get doing taxes, your accountant, it'll, it's a lot easier for them to, to prepare your, your books and your your uh, tax return if you got a good clean set of books. So make sure you got a good system there that works good for you and also and conveys that information well for for your accountant it also would probably reduce your your fees you know the less the more uh, tidy it is and the less time they have to do digging and it'll kind of help your preparation fees as well so um that is kind of what we've discussed on um, if we have time looks like my dad wrote down a couple other items that we've been uh hitting in the tax world um I, I know we're about up over 30 minutes, so I'll see if there's any questions first now. And then, Brittany, I guess if you want us to go over maybe one more item, we've got one more that we can go over. Um, tell us kind of what you want.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's great. If anybody has any questions first, and then you can go ahead and do that. Tony,
1: So I have a question. Brittany, can you hear me?
0: Yes.
1: So I got a little confused. You mentioned the, the Roth IRA right, versus the SEP. If we, if we make that donation to the SEP, we get to write all that off income. How much of the Roth, if I understood you right, was there an advantage to going into that Roth? Because obviously coming out of the Roth when I'm old is a much better deal. But how does it help me now?
2: Right, so the traditional IRA that I was speaking of, it's kind of a benefit today, that you get to write that off. Um, and then when you pull it out in retirement, yeah, those will be fully taxable to you. And while well, on the other hand, the Roth is you, you're putting in what they say after tax dollars. So you don't get a deduction today. Um, so you don't have that benefit. Um, if your income's low enough, you might get a little bit of a saver's credit, but it phases out at pretty low levels. Um, but when you get to retirement, when you start pulling out those, those retirement funds out of the Roth, then you get all that tax free. So that's when you see the benefit, like you say, it's um, in the future. They kind of flop the benefits, whether you want it today or the Roth, you get the benefit in the future. So.
1: I think I misunderstood you that there was a tax benefit to go even going in a Roth or IRA at this time, but it sounds like there is no benefit.
2: Sorry, yeah, I might have been confusing in no that part.
1: No, no problem. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
2: Sure. Um, so, if anyone's thinking else for another question, um, the, the one other thing we wrote down here, real quick. Is about cryptocurrencies is going to be a big item here in the tax world. Being, you know, in rural Idaho, we don't see it quite as much, but it's getting to be a lot more um, well known, and a lot more people are dabbling a little bit more. Especially, you see Bitcoin and. And those Doge coins, all those, all those kinds of things you're seeing, and what the heck they are, <laughs> we're kind of right there with you. They're they're kind of interesting little beasts. But just to give you a thirty thousand foot um, look at it, um, if you do start buying cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, you'll want to make sure you get take really good records of everything you do. Um, currently, they're not regulated like like a stock market is. So when you go to your financial institute and you have mutual funds and stocks and all that kind of stuff, they, they're regulated. So they, they're, they're tracking everything you do on there and they're going to report all your dividends and interest and capital gains and all that with, with cryptocurrencies. They, they are not required to keep track of all that for you right now. So you as the taxpayer are. So if you ever buy Bitcoin. And you, you sell it, um, you are potentially putting your rel- yourself in the realm of, you know, capital gains, just like you would a stock. Um, and there's, I mean, it, it gets pretty hairy. So if you, you, get, you see this a lot more in the bigger cities where people buy Bitcoin and they go to the coffee shop and they buy, you know, their coffee and donut with Bitcoin. Um, All those individual transactions are going to be some form of of income or or gains and losses, depending on the value of of that at each of those transactions. So like I say, if you are one of those that goes and buys a lot with cryptocurrencies, you'll have to have really good um, records because the the IRS is is aware of um, a lot of people not reporting that type of income. And I think it's just a matter of time when they're going to really start uh, hunting, hunting that income down and making people, you know, put their toes to the line uh, of, with that. So another thing to be on the radar for you guys. <laughs> um, any questions? I think that's kind of a, the end of what we've kind of prepared for for today. So we'd be willing to ask any other questions if anybody has them and.
0: All right, we'll see if anybody has any questions, but uh, Tony, I might ask one, do you have any recommendations as to benefits of the SEP versus the traditional IRA and maybe somebody who is, let's say, coming back to the farm and just starting out um, where maybe they should be looking?
2: right so if you're if you're like an individual farmer you're by yourself the the first thing i'd recommend you to is probably just a simple traditional ira it's it's easy to set up you don't have to do anything on the business side it's just purely on your individual tax return that you do very easy to set up so if that's the case i'd lean you in that direction if If you're more in uh, a situation where you have a few employees and you want to, um, you know, set up some kind of retirement plan, even though it might be a small retirement plan, um, the SEP or the Simple is a good idea. They both have their disadvantages, um, but they also have advantages as well. So, there's, there's quite a few details on them. Like a SEP, you have a little bit more flexibility. So if you have a bad year and you don't have the money to put in you know, to all your employees and yourself into that retirement account, you're not obligated to put it in there. So a SEP, it might be a good idea for farmers is where our incomes fluctuate a little bit. Um, but with a simple IRA, you have great benefits as well. Um, with that, you have kind of an employer match kind of system, um, where the the employees can put in a little bit of money. Whereas the SEP, your the employees don't put any money in at all. It's purely the employer. So to kind of get you know the whole skin in the games, you know, get your employees interested in it too. Um, the the simple is a good option for that too, but. The downside with that is you're you kind of pick a percentage of, of income and and that's the amount you contribute each year and once you do that you're kind of stuck doing that and so that's kind of the downside of those simples so hopefully that answers a little bit of that question and and you can like I say uh, if if you don't know where to begin and you're just you yourself I'd get yourself into a traditional to start with. And um, that's a great way to, great place to start. So,
0: um, I have a question for you, Tony. The conversation about cryptocurrency made me think of this. Can you speak to the new regulation on Venmo and PayPal where they have to report earnings for anyone or transactions, I guess, for anyone over $600. How, I know that, I know there are some of our growers on this call who use Venmo. Um, and they might be interested in knowing how that's going to change their practice.
1: Right.
2: So this is <laughs> for my dad who didn't hear. So this is a question about Venmo and 1099 reporting that... Um, so yeah, it's, <laughs> we're starting to see it more now. It's it's going to be coming where it's most people that use Venmo, you're going to start seeing some 1099s and I'm not a hundred percent sure how they're going to differentiate them, you know, between personal items. I've heard some people say, you know, if you're, let's say you're paying rent to somebody and it's You know, you want to very specify your tax-deductible items that you are paying somebody. Um, They be very detailed in those Venmo transactions and all that. You don't want to just leave emojis anymore, probably, um, for for those. um, So you can be very specific. (laughs) Because, yeah, they're going to be coming and it's going to make everybody pick up some more income if if they're not already doing so. Is there anything else you wanna add to that? Okay.
0: All right, any other questions? Please feel free to jump on. Don't see anyone opening their mic. So if we had done a bingo card today i don't think i would have included emojis uh in the words that were going to be used and i just really appreciate that you worked that in tony good job
2: <laughs> and i don't even use right, them very okay. much but <laughs> <So that's laughs> i know that's the thing so
0: <laughs> all right i i don't see any other questions so i will thank both jerry and tony for this information really appreciate your time today and willingness to come on and talk about some pretty complicated topics that I know uh, you, you guys have just great expertise in and is very helpful for the fellow growers to hear that. So thank you again. Thank you to everybody for participating, both live and anybody who then watches the recorded session later. And please look for our next episodes.
3: And thank you all. Have a great day.